another world, another time in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. This is what I came for. Your vital essence, the dark crystal. I can feel something. Hear it almost. Don't move. Don't move? Where would I go? Quiet! Here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone, and this is episode 19 of the podcast for February 2016. This month, we'll continue to discuss about the Dark Crystal Creation Myths Volume 2. Uh, if you're new to the show, I'd advise to check out the previous episodes of the show and um, even get your hands on the Dark Crystal Creation Myths, which was a graphic novel series. Um, there's three volumes in total, and um, they're, they're great. It's sort of you get the backstory of the Dark Crystal, essentially. So check it out. But for now, let's go and continue discussing about the Creation Myths Volume 2. So yeah, we're up to ch- Chapter 5, and... Um, I, I don't know, I, I've been reading or hearing about that there was like some continuity issues between um, World of the Dark Crystal and the Creation Myths with the Oskik's, um attempt at entering the world. Whereas in the Creation Myths, um, they're, they're pretty much in, in the uh, Crystal Chamber with, um, you know, to try and get back into the Crystal. Whereas in the, in the uh, World of the Dark Crystal, did it happen like in the chamber of life or just like something different? Well, they, they lead it, lead you to think that the reflector underneath the crystal that is used to drain the essence is what was, what was used to split them. But is that just, like I said before is the way I look at it as the, the world of the dark crystal is the song of Agra. It's the story from her point of view. And she purposely left out Ronup and purposely left out certain things. And she's also kind of out of the loop a little bit in a lot of things when you think about it. She's kind of distracted yeah. and for a minute there. So maybe she doesn't have all the pieces to the story. Yeah, so it's at this moment, yeah, that, you know, the conjunction is about, you know, to happen and, you know, sort of everyone's sort of, you know, ready for it and... um I mean, Ryan still fighting back. You know, he's like, let us pray that this is the last time we see each other, Darkheart. And then, yeah, you know, when the conjunction starts, it's sort of not working for them to go back to the homeworld. And um, I, I guess the thing that I sort of thought is whether Ryan's potentially the blame here for just shouting out to them, you know, sort of dark th- thoughts or you know, sort of giving them negativity during this moment where they need to think of nothing but good to to go back to the home world. Yeah, just to just some of the sort of thought, yeah. Well, it, it seemed to me like when Gear played that song, it kind of unlocked or unleashed that darkness a little bit. And then Rana, just his continual pushing just kind of brought the Erskek overboard and it, it kind of that scene reminded me of um, I think it's Lady Galadriel in the Lord of the Rings movies where she's like and I will be a great queen and I will <laughs> reign and <laughs> it, that's that's what I saw was like this big Erskek and all this light just in darkness like just beaming out I remember they also had a strider in the Lord of the Rings 
Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 Aragon, yeah. 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 It'd be nice to see a Gelfling riding one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Yoda style piggyback. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. From you know from from then on they sort of they all got rejected. Yeah. And then when that happened, it sort of because it didn't work out for them, it sort of then they just yeah split apart into two. Um, which we see you know the the Uru, the Mystics, and and the uh, Skeksis. Well, is it the crystal that's doing this to them? It's It almost seemed to me like the crystal was the reason for the split. Like, the crystal rejected them and because of the darkness and was like, as punishment, the crystal... Well, maybe not as punishment, but just to correct it, it tried to purify them and ended up splitting them. But then it also, because of this showed Ron up his his true origin it it, it kind of like you know put these images into his head yeah because like um yeah Olgro says you know the crystal rejects the corrupted one none will pass all must suffer so i guess yeah part of the consequence of you know them entering into the home world sort of failed the Urskek also calls everybody that's quote thraborn savages like when he goes off and does that Lady Galadriel thing, <laughs> it's like he he says, "I I, I want to be out of here. I want to get away from all these savages." I, I was just gonna say it's interesting that you know this Urskek is looking for compassion, but maybe the point of the crystal is that they you can't recognize and accept compassion unless you give it to yourself, and so you go looking externally, but you're not looking internally, and that's maybe why the crystal split them. One thing, too, about Ronup in this scene, like, even though as much as I like him, I do see him as much of a uh, cut-your-nose-off-to-spite-your-face kind of character. And, like, his his true desire is he wants these creatures off his planet. You know, like, that's, that's real. But, like, he still can't stop himself, you know, from, like, picking at them in their moment of, like, trying to leave. He's like, join them, Darkheart, or, or are you too poisonous? You can't join it. You can't do it, can you? And it's just like, shut up, Ronup. Yeah, yeah, I adore Ronan, but yeah, at that point I was just, like, ready to throttle him. Yeah, it's like you're hurting your own goals there, brother. I also like this little moment with Kel and Gear, where it's like, you know, as long as we're together, you know, it's like, it's almost like Jen and Kira, you know, as long as, you know, as long as they're together, you know, two together as one, we'll be fine, yeah. Yeah, they're okay. Yeah. Well, in here, it's not even it's not even a reflector. It's it's magnifiers, so it's magnifying the light into the crystal. And then they also are all given a staff with a crystal on it, and that crystal is supposed to help amplify it, you know, and help them to pass on. But because this Erskag is dark, and this the crystal rejects them. Does the crystal reject them because the Erskek homeworld crystal is also rejecting them? Yeah, hard to say. I mean, I feel like it's the one doorway that doesn't let you into another doorway. I don't. It's all complicated. <laughs> yeah. Something funny, real quick, Bland. You said something about Lady Gal- Lady Galadriel, and for whatever reason, when I read Chapter Six, I heard the the narrator here. You know, in the wake of the Great Light, in her voice, like the Lord of the Rings voiceover. I swear. <laughs> now, why is Agra on the floor? I didn't get that. Like, it feels Agra like it was is like passed a- out on the floor. 
Well, it feels like there's like a bit of an explosion type of feel, you know, like that kind of extremely oh, yeah, intense they do. moment. Well, I, I just noticed that in the page before it shows her flying through the air. So. Yeah. Yeah, because I imagine she's pretty close to the machines and the crystals yeah. and everything. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a chapter, yeah, you know, the Earthskex, uh, the, yeah, not, the, the, the merge into the two and, you know, they're all fighting against each other. They just well, One quick arc. question, too. What what did you all think about, because I, the first time I saw this, what did you think about the depiction, like the literal drawings of the Mystics and Earth and the uh, Skeksis? Um, I actually didn't mind them. I liked them. Like, I, I, I could see how the Mystics were at one time upright and through the ages and, you know, becoming worn out and aged. They were, you know, more crouched over because they do stand up at the end of the movie for the rejoining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Skeksis also seem to have more control over their other limbs. Um, in the In the back of the book, there's a lot of the artwork that Brian Froud did to conceptualize these early Skeksis in Uru. And I really enjoyed them. It's all about the headpieces and all that and how the Skeksis had the, the flares, the, the pink and purple flare it was almost wing like. Yeah. I really liked so, all those depictions. Took, took me a minute to come around on them for whatever reason. I don't know. I'm just such a locked into like what to, as to like what they look like in my head. I was like, man, this looks cartoony as can be. And then I was like, oh, over time, I kept, you know, more I read this, I was like, no, that's about right. I mean, they're infantile. They're going to be new. They're a little younger, a little fresh. I didn't think men- mentally. Mentally, I thought it was a bit strange. Like, I, well, I, and what I do thought you mean? they would have been. Well, I thought they, they would have been more in control of what they were doing. And they would have been able to talk you know, on a bunch of uggs and mms and uh. mm. And, and, and they they kind of go into how the Uru have to kind of trace their thought in the air with their finger and how if they miss, if their elbow is out of place and they kind of do it wrong, they have to start over. So it's almost like they can't hold a thought almost at first, which I thought was kind of strange. Yeah. And um, I kind of like the, the escape with the um, Kalingir and yeah, they jump in and then Cal gets, you know, the wings on uh to, to to glide them down yeah sort of mirroring the um you know a little bit from the film as well when um gary's like yeah whoa wings i forgot about the wings we also had an instant death where a skexy throws an uru down the pit and then mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i was gonna say this so, is where we, it's first revealed that they're even though they are separate they're still very much so connected which i thought was nice yeah that olga speaks the death of one is the death of another they are the same yeah well, they didn't even know that themselves. Right. Even yeah. through intuition. Yeah, I love that. You get to see, I, th- I think we see two deaths there, don't we? Yeah, one gets strangled to death and one gets thrown into a pit of fire. Yep. And I just love Agra watching all that narrating. She's oh. like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't know real. strangled. Battle commentary. <laughs> right. So now there's, <laughs> now there's 16 at this point each. Mm. But yeah, onto the wings. Can't beat the wing shot, man. That's right. A little homage. It's almost as if, yeah, he hasn't spent a lot of time around females, maybe. But at this point in the in the uh, development of the Gelfling, it's it's almost as if the the females don't really use their wings that often, and maybe that at this point in their evolution, they only use them for gliding purposes. Yeah, and it could be also based on like which tribe they're with. 
Mm -hmm. um, so, you yeah. know, like perhaps the, the seafaring tribe probably don't utilize wings very frequently. So well, I don't know how much gear would see them. Well, there's that fairy tale about how Agra in the volume one where she stuck the wings into the back of the yeah. elephant and that's how she got her wings. Um, maybe it's, you know, here you have a whole planet of different tribes of Gelfling. The descendants of the winged Gelfling aren't going to fully in, encompass all of the Gelfling population is what I'm saying. You're going to have some that aren't going to have the gene for wings and then you're going to have some that do. Yeah, and it could even be like a, a status thing because, you know, she's clearly a, a higher status than he is. Um, you know, when he first meets her, he doesn't know how to address her. So right. it could be perhaps that wings end up being a mark of status. Or like a mark of royalty or, or heightened spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of options with, with what it comes from. But yeah, because she clearly is a higher rank than he is. So perhaps that's part of it. And it makes you wonder why they have wings in the first place, you know, biologically speaking. Also, at this point, the crystal is already purple and it hasn't been cracked yet. So it's almost like in the splitting, the crystal kind of absorbed some of this darkness already. Yeah, I always thought I that thought the crystal that didn't darken. Yeah. Yeah, just the, the nature of them trying to pass through it tainted the crystal somehow. Yeah. And we also, we also, it's very clear which one is the Chamberlain. <laughs> yes, yeah, at the, at the end when he's like, mm. <laughs> um, Yeah, I know, you can't read that without hearing that noise. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody, go. Do your best, Chamberlain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but I'm sorry. Right, you are the Chamberlain. Invested. Uh, my best Chamberlain. Let me see if I can do this. I, I have done this. I have caught her. I bring you the Gelfling. Very well I, I've done. got a cold. I can't nice. do it right now. <laughs> I can only, I've only done the good. The grunt is my, uh, or the hmm is my text. So whenever I get a text, I get to hear. Yeah. Mm. Oh my God. That would be so distracting. <laughs> yeah. That was good. <laughs> well, I mean, if there were, ever was like a dark crystal convention, that would probably be like one of the contests, like who can do the best um, Chamberlain. That Chamberlain. I know, like oh, in Star, because I know in Star Trek conventions, um, I like some do the contest, like you know, who can do the best Khan. <laughs> oh, be like right, who can right, do the right. best. Mm. <laughs> I love that cool. scene though, right after they glide down of the the, the mystic standing up and stuff, ah, just like doing his best to scare a Skeksy. Yeah. <laughs> I like that the scene where when he brings Kira and presents her and he's like, I've done this, I've caught her. He does that little <laughs> like in your face, Skekong. <laughs> we also get a the podling has a little Kamalea. When he calls the Landstrider. How can you not hear that in Kara's voice? I mean, that's awesome. And so they, yeah, they, they got out. And the, even the mystics um, come along with them. And, and I yeah, love it's the interesting. fight scene. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. With the staffs. Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Yeah. I think he, uh, and it's almost like, are they. He takes uh, out gear, right? I'm trying to think. Yeah. He hits them in yeah. the head, in the face or, yeah, yeah. knocks them over. Yeah. And I it, just see it the makes you wonder, there, like, like 
that piling, I don't know, just seems so out of place in like a fight scene. Like I, it, I love that little scene of him on top of the uh, the land strider. Doshba, Doshba, let's get the out of here. Like let's go. Well, and then like Free Tree like helps him. Right. He's like, come over this way, and then through that soul speak, he can like mm-hmm. understand what he's saying. I thought that was kind of neat. But are Gelfling trained? Like, do they know the the bow staff? Like, do they have combat skills? Maybe for hunting, I would. Uh, I would, but you yeah. never know. I like how Gear just grabs the leg of the Landstrider and just climbs right up. <laughs> Get out of here! But I like their confusion in the next scene too. Like when the Mystics are running with them, and they're like, "They're they're chasing us! They're chasing!" Like, I, actually, I think they're running with us. Uh, but then why are the Skeksis, uh, like, when the Skeksis are coming after him, why are they, like, why does the sunlight bother him? Because it seems to me like every lesser conjunction, that's the whole purpose, is to absorb that light from the sun. Even, well, but it is filtered through the dark crystal. So maybe that does yeah. something to it. Yeah, because in the world of the dark crystal, they are, they're still friendly with Agra at, at some point. They they work with her. Um, she works a lot with Skek Tech. Um, and it seems almost like they're kind of friendly at first. And in this depiction, they're like very, very savage. So on to uh, chapter seven, Ronip's reflection. And so kind of night, you know, kind of neat that we're still, you know, seeing the storyteller sort of going back and forth between him and the actual um, story that taking place uh, within uh, within uh, creation myths, or you know, this is a point where the shard is about to be broken. That you know, Olgra sort of you know realize about you know what's happened about the split, and that they've got to do something for it. And I guess you know this is the the chapter of we get to see Ronip's um sort of revelation, sort of his origin story, so to speak. And I, I guess I don't know. I I, I guess to me that the, the origin story sort of is. It reminds me a lot of um, Superman, I guess, you know, when Clark, oh, with um, uh, Superman, you know, in this little ship and sort of, you know, smacks down on, on the planet and, um, you know, become, you know, becomes raised by, you know, a family or whatnot. I don't know, just what are your thoughts about, I don't know, with the, that comparison, the similar comparison that I think that there is a little bit to, to Superman. Yeah, I thought it was very similar, except for uh, instead of a cute baby inside, there was like a sack of sludge that looks like Ronin. Um, in the in the comic book, it's very like oh gosh, it's just weeds and mud. But uh, yeah, it was, it was quite interesting. Uh, you know, it's it's quite a turning point, obviously, in his life to finally catch some sense of like trying to make you know sense of who he is and where he comes from. And I don't know, just really well written there. Something suddenly you know in the, in the crystal caught Ronip's eye, and and he gets to see who he is. But it's a uh, I don't know if he's happy or sad about it as we go on, but I'll let I'll let other folks talk about it as well. Well, it's, it's sort of his punishment for what had happened. Like the the crystal punished the Earthskikes and split them, and so as punishment to Ronip for basically causing the darkness to come out in the Earthskik, they showed him his true origin and were like, you know what, you're not pure, Thra, you know, you're not pure like you think you are. And that was his whole thing was that the, the earth cakes aren't of this world. They shouldn't be here. They're messing everything up. They're distracting Agra. They're doing all this. And it's, it's, 
then he finds out that he's not even fully of the planet himself. And that's but the question, then, though, right? I mean, where is he from? It's not right. necessarily from where the Earthsticks are. It's just from out in space. It's something that I had thought about was Agra. Agra doesn't really have a mother or a father. She is born of Thra. But then Ronip, would you say that his father is the meteor and that Agra is his mother? Or is Agra just his creator? Not necessarily a mother, but they, that's just how they refer to each other, mother and son. I, I think she's both. She created him, but she is his mother because she raised him. Uh, okay, yeah, in that sense, yes, yes. Yeah, that's how I saw it. And I actually thought it was interesting in that um, Ronip is the other. No, he, it's, it's fascinating to me that being an outsider, he is still the most passionate person for the cause of Thra being for those of Thra. So he's the only one who can see the others for who they are, the Urskeks, and champions the cause of Thra. So that's great. You know, he's not of Thra, but really he's their, their greatest proponent. Uh, you know, they have to leave, and he's the only one who can see it because he is not wholly a throb. Right. right. Like like I said about Agra, she looks from within, whereas Rana looks from the outside. That's correct. Yeah, I like right. that analogy very much. I wonder, too, because as I'm, you know, as I read this, I'm thinking, uh, it says that, you know, when the rock landed, that Agra found life within it. And I'm wondering, like, did she just give him physical form? Like, what did that life you know, look like it was just like a, an essence of some sort, you know, and then she decided to give it life from Thra, you know, physical, a physical presence, or was he already somewhat physical? I mean, I don't know if we can ever have answers. It's just something that made me curious. Yeah. Cause like the other thing I was sort of looking at is that, um, it, it sort of seems like, I don't know whether, I don't know if you mentioned this, Doug, that it, it might've been just, you know, he was sludge or whatever. And, and that it was sort of, I don't know, I guess because Olgra was able to sense life within it, you know, that perhaps Olgra sort of formed um, Ronip uh, to what he is. Like like Venom from Spider-Man. <laughs> it was just like this black ooze and it just like melded onto Spider-Man. It was like melded onto all this thra material. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Um, it, it, I guess it's sort of hard to tell. Like, um, it's just like a life essence. Because I guess yeah. it's like you know, and from the mixture of the alien and the familiar, a child to her was born. And this is our first chance too to really, really feel Ronip's pain, and I think really join him. And I don't know. As a reader, obviously, we're we're on the side of Thra. I don't think there's much question about that. But um, yeah, when he he makes the statement. You know, I'm not. I'm not of the crystal. I'm not even from Thra. And then all of a sudden, we're like, "Oh my gosh, he's not." But yet, he cares so much, just like we do. And I think that kind of puts us on his side. Yeah. In the in the depiction here, it does show the meteor behind him after he is formed. So it's not. I don't know if she just formed him from the life force that was within it, and he's not actually of the meteor, just the life force. Uh, it it just uh, it's kind of unclear, but well, it, it said that uh, he's a, a life form from one of those other worlds, and that he was dormant in the meteor, so that uh, he was essentially awakened and combined by Agra with the stuff of Thra, which implies that was necessary for him to exist on Thra. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing story. Mm-hmm. I really like that next scene too. We get to see Augur uh, as truly a, a motherly being. Like she's it's the first time. I don't know if I can remember like her really comforting, you know, her ch- who she considers to be her child. You know, she's like, Ronup, you're from me as well as from the stars. You're many, many things. So it's a very like loving tone that you know we don't overly hear with Augur. I think it was really nice. Yeah, and it sort of becomes the last sort of last time that she becomes very, I think, motherly like. You know, I guess you know this is all before the crystal gets um, shattered. So, um, you know, nice words from her. You know, most of all, you're a gift of knowledge. Um, you made my world more more inspiring. Yes, and so they, you know, the the Skeksis um, approach them. Well, this is also this is also the first time that Agra like looks outward from the planet. Is when when she saw the meteor come to him, to the planet, right? Yeah, you could probably yeah yeah you could probably say that that yeah like maybe that could have been the thing that sort of inspired her to look look at the heavens, the stars, and moons and suns. Yeah, potentially. I mean, because I mean, I mean, she does say to Ronup that you know being a gift of knowledge, so that probably sort of inspired her, I guess, to to look out, you know, what other worlds are like, or you know. And I mean, you know, Olga is just trying to talk to them and, you know, they're just not responding. And, um, and that's when the, the moment happens when, um, the, um, Skeksy, um, uh, cracks the crystal. And, um, I, I, I guess it's interesting cause I, I don't know, like with, I guess the continuity, <laughs> um, like, because I know in the film, um, I mean, it's sort of hard to tell, but in the, I guess in the film, when the Skeksy cracks, it seems to be like, you know, a full, you know, you know, a full, you know, uh, Skeksy size, um, kind of creature that cracks the crystal. Um, whereas I think that's the interesting thing about the creation myths is, you know, we find out that, um, they, when, when the transformation happened, when they split into two, that they become really younger versions of themselves, like essentially, um, you know, babies, I guess, in, in some way, um, that, yeah, it's interesting that, um, yeah, that, that was sort of the big, I guess, surprise when I was you know, reading this for the first time is the fact that I thought that they just got, you know, merged, you know, they, they became Skeksis and Mystics, but they just were what they were in the film, but didn't actually think that they would be, you know, like younger versions of them. Um, yeah, I don't know, which I just, yeah, I don't know, just to me, I just thought, oh, you know, that's really interesting. But I guess like in the vision from the Dark Crystal that um, you don't really get to see like, um, the Skeksy that it, it is pretty much in shadow so you you know as a sort of thing about that you know from a continuity point of view um, yeah I expected them to be younger I just didn't expect them to be primitive as non like they didn't have a lot of vocalization a lot of child like that's a bit of a surprise to go from the Urskex, which were, you know, wise and all-knowing, to, you know, hissing monsters for the Skeksis and communicative um, mystics. Yeah, the, the loss of language when they split is very interesting. I wonder if this was the first quake that Thrawd ever had. That occurred to me. Yeah, it would be interesting because, I mean, we've never seen any quakes, like, I guess, like, based on what we've seen from, like, the first volume of uh, Creation Myths, um, that doesn't seem to be evident. So, 
whether the, yeah it was potentially the first time that there ever was a um a quake but you think that that might have happened i mean since the world's been around for thousands of years that you think you know might get a quake or two in their lifetime to sort of have that to experience it but um yeah just don't know <laughs> you don't know how like other planets thraw is i mean it could be just one giant crystal essentially you know and that has a very solid structure all right so the nice thing i thought one of the greatest things here we got to see the mystics for the first time we get to see any of their power as they're doing their own thing and they are stopping the crack that the skexies have created right like this is the first time that we actually see their chant and so it's it's kind of interesting to think that maybe had they not been there, this might have been more chaotic and like more destructive in in this earthquake that cracks out. Yeah, I, I guess the other thing that just made me thought because you know how how the Earthskeks managed to split into two, it makes me wonder if it, if this is something that the Earthskeks um, from their own home world are very well aware about of these that they are a combination of the two with the mystics or the uru and and the skeksis this is another thing that I sort of thought about whether you know from the home world if they would be very well aware about that or whether it just i mean or just just the way it happened because of i don't know the way thra works and with the with the suns that sort of turn them into the you know split them into two i'm going to go with they caught them by surprise because uh, from what I've read in the book, they're dissenters to the, like, they're the 18 uh, dissidents that were sent away. So I think they were sent away just because of that, not because, you know, they had the potential to split. I don't think their culture was aware of that possibility, and they find out the hard way. Yeah, I tend to agree with them on that because I think, I, I don't know, maybe they wouldn't care because they're just so, you know, who cares? But, like, if they would have known that, maybe they wouldn't have just started fighting and killing mystics knowing that it could very well have cost them their own life but then again what you know if they're pure evil incarnate as they're you know supposed to be written to a degree then it, it makes you wonder if maybe they wouldn't have cared and they're just you know meleeing whoever's around but it always felt like a surprise to me as well that they were like oh my gosh well, well then they too sorry i'm just going to say they don't appear to be evil right off the bat they just appear to be selfish and violent and, of course, you know, the combination of qualities are what really makes up evil. True. Good point. Yeah. The They're also sent to Thra through the crystal. Well, we're not really sure how they're sent there. But my theory is that it's through some sort of a technology that was developed by the Erskex. Because on Thra, the, this power is... is unleashed through a great conjunction it's a natural cosmic occurrence that happens and that's what gives you know through during the great conjunction they're actually able to travel to thra but on the other end what's causing that on their planet are they having a great conjunction do they have three suns what gives the, their crystal enough power that's right that's what i was going to say go ahead Blaine. Well, that's that was just the end of my thought. That like, what what actually powers their crystal? Is it just some advanced technology that they have developed? I I actually saw it as a, a connective thing along the lines of the the book itself, and that all things are connected in some way. So the crystals are all connected, much like uh, modern science has demonstrated that 
Um, some atoms that are perfectly in sync will demonstrate um, a force exerted on one to the other as well, no matter the distance. Um, so that's an interesting thing in that you can extrapolate from that that all of the crystals in the universe that share the same connection with the dark crystal will demonstrate the same sort of tendencies. So you get the power of the Great Conjunction, perhaps, that makes this crystal more powerful than any of the others in that it has direct exposure to a Great Conjunction uh, type of um, solar system. So that then allows all the other crystals in the universal network, if you will, to be connected or share powers or have other things go on. We really don't know anything about the so, other crystals. So are you saying that Thera could possibly be the heart of this network? Yes, that's kind of where I'm going with it in that it's special. Because it's it a natural occurrence, yeah. Yeah, it seems to be, you know, pointed out that Thra is special. Thra is a, you know, unique place. It has the great crystal of which all other crystals are reflections. I believe I'm misquoting there, but still, um, I find it fascinating. Well, I like this depiction here of the of the Uru, and they're obviously nude, but you see that they have that spiral on the face, but then you can see it also on the thighs and the, a little bit on the tail. I like how they show that detail in the depiction. The Skeksis' secondary hands are very well pronounced, too, in this depiction. Like, it may be over the thousands of year, or thousands of thrine, or trine, or trine, <laughs> uh, that they kind of shriveled and, and mangled against their back. Maybe it's just yeah. like an evolutionary thing where they didn't use them as yeah. much. Yeah, and I mean, in general, they just sort of got more twisted and hunched over and grotesque as the years went on, for sure. Yeah, they just kind of kept layering their clothes on as they would decay on their bodies. Yeah. So they just became less handy overall. <laughs> but um, Tish. Disarmed themselves, yeah. That'll be enough, sir. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the spirals on the mystics' bodies, that indicates they are far more in tune with Thra. Uh, I believe the spiral is part of what uh, um, I was going to say, the, um, the universal spiral of power uh, that sort of curls in upon itself. So it's interesting they possess that and the Skeksis do not. Yeah, and so basically, yeah, back at the Castle of the Crystal, you know, they realize that they have to go down to try and find the uh, the shards um, or a shard of the crystal. And yeah, I guess you know a nice little you know end of between Runup and um, and Olgra. You know how Olgra says you know, that you'll always be my first and um, greatest uh, creation. Yeah, Runup's pretty sad right now. Yeah, he's just finding out that not only is he not from this you know planet, but he's also you know done this planet a disservice that he loves. So it's a double whammy for him so i think auger does a good job to kind of comfort him there and say off we go yeah i wonder if they had the shard go down into the interior of the planet instead of breaking off through the porthole like in the world of the dark crystal i wonder if they did that to maybe it was an early concept to try to tie it into the power of the dark crystal sequel hmm. maybe could be Back for a moment, though, um, that same scene where Agra is comforting Ronup, 
she does say that her knowledge is escaping her. So that's a neat link that they've made to the crystal itself being a source of her power. Uh, and because she is of Thra, since the crystal is damaged, then so is she. And then she yeah, says that, that she'll really never, like and it. that's why she says, yeah, I'll never forget you. Though, unfortunately, you know, that sort of, you know, potentially slips away throughout the years, you know, as we see her, you know, by the time of the film that... She's kind of aloof. Yeah, 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 yeah. and sort of, you know, slowly's lost, you know, more knowledge than than ever before. Yeah, at that point, she's been cracked for a thousand years as well. Yeah. Yeah, from there, you know, chapter eight, which sort of um, pretty much what, what, you know, sort of wraps up what... um the the aftermath of of what happened essentially with the storyteller yeah just explaining you know what's going on you know there's no dialogue from any of the uh characters at this point um except for the storyteller and so you know there's just a for for everyone it just seems a sense of um uncertainty at this stage they just don't know yeah what what's to come and then unfortunately you know when we go to back to the podling village and um kotha's uh mother you know perished in the great quake and so you know sort of ends up taking up her place to be the uh, as a symbol of leadership um and counsel for the tribe so it'd be interesting to see yeah with kotha in, in volume three and um and i guess it was interesting that i think last i think we were chatting about sort of the origins of the podlings and um i, I don't know if it was you, you peter peter that mentioned about that they sort of grew from you know from the ground um essentially and that's sort of um what's been yeah established here that um uh after huck mina was planted into the ground from which from which she came so yeah yeah so no it's sort of yeah pretty neat um knowing about that it's just strange to think of of uh, podlings cultivating their young in the ground yeah but then it goes back to Zan on Farscape, how she was a plant <laughs> being that had to... Well, that was basically what caused her to sacrifice herself, was that she was dying because she needed to be planted again. But that's another show. <laughs> <laughs> and we did have a creature at the beginning of this book that uh, ate the wrong flower. One of the things I liked about this scene, or not, not necessarily this one, but the very next one, like you see where the... So we've got Kotha now as the leader of the podlings, and we've got uh gear you know riding off into the sunset with his friend and, and kel and i love the way it's worded here you know is that the, the two kelfling often speculated on just what had happened inside the crystal palace but neither had answers and i love that you know because we as the readers we know but you know the characters we have to identify with really they they're still clueless like they and you that helps us it makes us want to help them right and i just really like that about writing how well that's done well, there's also that well, little third creature, Freely, is on the back there. So it's kind of like a symbol of Fizzgig, I guess. <laughs> uh, one thing, too, to remember is that the Gelflings uh, are separated during the, um, the Great Conjunction disaster, uh, the shattering of the crystal, um, from Agra and Ronev, because they went down and they dwell underneath for who knows how long looking for the crystal shards. So really, you know, Augur is not there to explain what happened. So the Gelflings have to infer, well, something went wrong. These creatures appeared and fought and we had to escape. And that's pretty much it for them. They're not fully informed. Yeah, it's disturbing, right? Like, right? It's Jen and... there. Oh, go ahead, brother. 
Well, I was just going to say that Jen and Kira, they don't realize it until they see the ruins, until they see the Wall of Destiny. They're like, this is a piece of the Dark Crystal and we got to go heal it. But even at that point, they don't know that the Mystics and the Skeksis are of the same being. Well, and you got to wonder, too, like, did it get passed down through the Gelfling tribes that, you know, Agra's dead? It, you know, for years and years there, and nobody, you know, maybe, like Pete said, maybe they're down there for forever and a day. Who knows? Well, Agra's planetarium would still be there. It was still there. It was built before the disaster, and it was still there up until the time of the movie. So they would know that if she was back, it would be occupied. So maybe that could be another scene in another book or story is that, you know, the lights come back on in Augur's observatory and, you know, the, the Gelfins celebrate. Yeah, yeah, it would be interesting. Yeah, this time and place about the, the knowledge that the Gelfings, you know, end up having if, if Augur is still alive or whatnot. This is, yeah, just a sense of, yeah, confusion and um, or shrouded in confusion. So, yeah, be interesting, yeah, to follow up on that just to see... Um, yeah, to see yeah, how well they know. And can I also point out that um, at this point, this is a, a break in knowledge as well. Because Agra is gone and she's losing knowledge, you know, probably every day because of the crack in the dark crystal, as she stated. So from this point on, the Gelflings are really on their own. So when we have them encounter the Skeksis and Mystics next, there's nobody to advise them. You know, they have nothing to find. It's just them. That's true. Now, yeah. is she is all of her knowledge continually fading, or is just an equivalent to what the shard is? <laughs> is that what's yeah. missing? Is it just a chunk? That that's a good question. Proportion. I always took it too, like you know, like we think of like uh, older married couples, like when one of them dies, like you lose a part of yourself, like you lose that loved one deep within, and I don't know. It kind of always felt like that. I mean, obviously, she's you know completely tied to Thra as she is born from it but it just makes me feel like that too like maybe she felt like that part of her could never die or never be injured or tarnished and now here it is you know it's cracked and depleting makes you wonder about her her mental state and maybe that's why she seems uh a little crazy by the time we <laughs> see her in the movie yeah well she does every nine years but interestingly she doesn't heal her you know uh, eye that died so Thra renews her but to a point apparently right she's healed but she's not renewed <laughs> it's just like okay we'll, we'll we'll make this feel better <laughs> but we're not going to replace the eye and right. that extra from the dark crystal yeah you know that's nothing to do with Thra itself that's the crystal between you and the crystal so again there's different levels of relationships and interdependencies layers and layers I feel like we start to see that too in that first scene uh, where it shows Ronip and Agra traveling to the you know the, the center of Thra basically and he carried the weight of his mother down into the shaft beneath the broken crystal and, you know, we start to see like a dependency maybe even to a, to a degree, at least in the words of Agra onto Ronip and things around her since she's no longer quote unquote whole. Right. It's like he uh, has to he has to help her. She's she's withered. And they are at the center of Thra, which apparently is full of crystals. So that <laughs> kind of lends credence to the the whole world is a giant crystal of some kind. 
Yeah, yeah at least the score. Shavings, yeah. Like a giant geode. Oh, I like right. that. Image. Yeah, they say in the world yeah, of the Dark there. Crystal that it's unknown whether it orbits around the, the three suns or if it's stationary and the suns actually go around it. What if it just rotates and it's stationary? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there could be a combination of all threes. Uh, I actually did look for orbital schematics for the world of Air Crystal, and they are out there. So there's, I think, three or four different possible schematics that show how the Great Conjunction could take place depending on the orbital mechanics of the three suns. Mm -hmm. And, and um, it's interesting, you know, deciding on what's moving, what's not, uh, how often they move across the sky. Uh, how often the conjunction occurs, and well, there's uh, also three different types of conjunctions. There's a great conjunction, which is yep. all three suns: the great, the rose, and the dying. Then you have a minor conjunction, which is two of the suns, but one of them is the great sun. So you have the great sun with either the rose or the dying sun, and then you have a lesser conjunction, which is just the dying and the rose sun without the great sun. So you have three different types of conjunctions as well. Yes, and again, you know, what symbol uh, symbols do those represent? What you know, how are they symbolic? You know, what kind of life cycles and integrations do they represent? Uh, I do recommend going looking for orbital mechanics for the dark crystal, and uh, it might surprise you. Some people have got some uh, very nice diagrams of what it looks like, and all of them are mathematically sound for a fantasy world. <laughs> Oh okay. That's it. Yeah. Do 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 you have the link um to I know to that article um Peter about the uh, I can find it. I did some research for my story a few years ago, so uh, I will dig that up and send it to you. Yeah, folks. definitely. Yeah, and I'll um I'll try and post that on the on the show notes for um any of our listeners. Um. So yeah, I mean, and so pretty much, I think that almost yeah wraps up the the end of um of volume two for uh, creation myths and. Once again, we go back to the storyteller and, um, and yeah, it just says, you know, that, you know, um, that there's still one more story I got to tell before I go. So yeah, get to find out about that in, in volume three, uh, yeah, of creation myths. So, um, and I don't know if it's meant to be humorous here. I always, I don't know. I laugh at a lot of things in these books, but like, uh, the next page where it says next Skeksis come in peace. Yeah. And they're like burying their chest. They've got weapons. <laughs> they've got claws. They got these terrible looks. They're like, "We're here to help. Don't don't worry. We're gonna be good guys." Well, they're they say that there was a period where they were friendly with the Gelfling and Agra. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Just like as a, as a Gelfling, I'm just like, how how could y'all not see that? Look look, just look at them. Look at a Skeksy. Well, you know, and spend years, you know, figuring out their world that they're in and then, you know, making really nice soft white robes to walk around in. True. So that true. Be, you know, they look peaceful and practicing. Who knows? Uh, because, of course, they do have the, the Dark Crystal itself to study Thraw through, as they've uh, done before uh, in the movie. Yep. Yeah. They are in the castle. They have control of the crystal. Yeah. <laughs> so, and one of the um, nice things about this book too, like if you if you're gonna buy it, I guess is the Brian Froud sketchbook at the back of it. Yes, just amazing, amazing stuff in there. And I haven't read the David O'Dell um, bit on his, um, you know, working with Jim Henson. 
But from what I hear in here, he talks about how Agra wasn't actually Mother Earth when they were writing the script. That didn't actually develop until they put out The World of the Dark Crystal. So it's just, I think they added this to kind of show that the story kind of evolves and develops. Yeah, I mean, I think that was always the case, like, with the Dark Crystal, that, I mean, they built the world first, and sort of this the story became, I guess, secondary. Well, and then it developed even after the film. Yes, yeah, yeah. And continues and still to developing. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, That's the here, it's it. in the creation myths. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I wanted to point out. Um, a, a lot of what what you ask as we go through these books is why is there a storyteller? What's, what is, why is there, why do we always have this storyteller coming up and presenting the story to us? And I've actually gone back to the world of the dark crystal and kind of, uh, dove into the text a little bit more and kind of studied up a little bit more on it. And the, the world of dark crystal is actually broken up into two different texts. You have, J.J. Llewellyn's descriptive text throughout the book, which describes like all the artifacts and depictions and pictures and whatnot. But then you also have the Book of Agra, which is the translated manuscript, um, which is what most people refer to when they think of the world of the Dark Crystal. They don't really look at the J.J. Llewellyn text. But what I've what I've kind of put together through the introduction and through some of these descriptive text is that J.J. Llewellyn was a archaeological professor at Oxford University. I'm pretty sure he's a made-up guy. (laughs) (laughs) When When the reprint came out in 2003, he's not credited. It's actually credited to Brian Froud. So I think it it was all written by Brian Froud and he kind of developed this through his artwork. But what it what it is is that the book of Agra what what he did was he found in an undisclosed by chance discovery in an undisclosed anonymous site he found the wall of destiny on earth i have no idea how it got on earth <laughs> my <laughs> conclusion or my theory is that earth possibly has a crystal and that's why it's an undisclosed location because he doesn't want people to know where where the earth crystal is but it has this wall has what are described as Augrian petroglyphs, and they're described as being enigmatic figures, so they're difficult to understand. And through this one artifact, he did meditations, and through his meditations, he was able to produce objects that described and illustrated the techniques of dream fasting. Through that, he found that he could dream fast with the hands on the figures on the Wall of Destiny. And through that, he learned sand writing, and then he learned dream writing, which is basically dream etching, which is like the formation of objects through um, like a meditative ability that the Gelflings have. So this kind of indicates that humans can also dream fast and sand write and dream etch. So... Um, the most complete production that was formed out of all of these meditations and dream etchings 
was the manuscript, the book of Agra. So in its core, the book of Agra is a translation. It's through meditation and dream fasting and dream etching. So, and it's also described as being lyrical, a poetic recitation. Um, it says that when it's translated, it is not tentative, but it is a revealing description. It's not a literal translation of every phrase. It also describes the Augurian language as harsh, broken, cryptic, archaic, meaning that it's difficult to translate and convey unfamiliar concepts and accuracy. <laughs> I know that was, that was all kind of long and drawn out, but basically what that means is that it cannot be taken as fact. That's the loophole. The world of the dark crystal, even though it's canon, is not to be taken as fact. It's a translation. It's an interpretation. The reason why we have the storyteller in the creation myths is to remind us that this is a oral presentation. This is not written. This is not set in stone. This is the storyteller's version of the creation myths. So it cannot be taken as fact. That's why there's differences in the two. <laughs> yeah, it also says that the, the meaning is conveyed, like the Augurian language, um, the meaning is conveyed in words, but also in their association. So to say, quote, of the dead, I will not speak. Their presence may be felt anywhere. Learn from them yourself. It brings out all the sense in Augur's words, but the literal version would be dead, could be anywhere then, followed by silence. So, even, so her language is simplistic, but it still holds more meaning that can be conveyed. So their translation is the most accurate depiction that they're presenting in the world of the Dark Crystal. So it could be that there's even more that's out there. It also says that there's other manuscripts that were, that were produced through all this dream fasting and dream etching. So that indicates that there's lots of other stories. But it also mentions that there's, there's creatures that are mentioned, but they're derived from languages that aren't even in the manuscript, the Book of Agra. So that means that there's other creatures that have languages that we haven't even encountered yet. So the way the world of the dark crystal is kind of written and presented as being this archaeological find, it just, it just leaves the world completely open. And I, that's one of the reasons why I'm accepting the creation myths. Like at first I'd like, like I said before, I was not wanting to read them. I was stuck on the world of the dark crystal as being the true canon. But when you get down to the text of it, it's not. Yeah, just, I mean, anything can be up for, yeah, interpretations and and all that. Yeah, that's for certain, yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely like, um, I mean, I haven't read the, the Reflections of on Make. I have read it a while ago, um, but it is a good read um, for anyone that's, you know, that that has volume two but haven't read that, um, the David O'Dell story. Uh, it's definitely worth uh, 
checking out that's for sure so i guess uh, overall I, I i guess overall um just wanted i don't know if you wanted to have any more um uh, final thoughts on um on creation myths volume two well i think i kind of already did mine <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's all right well what about yourself uh fish um not a lot i mean i'm enjoying these a ton I- i've already read the third one so i'm excited to get there and i'll uh, i'll see everybody then um just wanted to say how much I'm enjoying them as well, just because everything seems to be well thought out. And that appeals to me greatly when it comes to The Dark Crystal, because it's a well thought out film and backstory. So to see this continued in these books is very gratifying and makes me want to read the third one. <laughs> it's a it's a great story, and I've been really enjoying sort of seeing the origins of, you know, the movie that I grew up and loved. Um, so it's it's been fun, and I'm uh, looking forward to getting the chance to read the third one. Excellent, yeah, and same here. I mean, like for myself, even just um, revisiting the books recently, just for the discussions, I feel like I still, you know, there's still a lot that I'm, you know, I'm learning so much, and and um, yeah, you know, just excited, yeah, to um, to really get into the um, the third volume of uh, Creation Myths. So yeah, looking forward to yeah when we do uh, discuss about that. Um, so yeah, once again, I just want to say yeah, th- thank you so much for um, uh, for being on board for for the discussion of volume two. Yeah, another yeah. thing that I wanted to point out was that um, in the world of the Dark Crystal, they also use the word Augrian a lot, but it's not really to you. A lot of times, it doesn't seem like they're actually describing Augra. It just seems like Augrian is the word that they're using to describe like earthling instead of being like thranian or thranian or however you want to put it thrilling thralling it seems (laughs) like the word augrian is what is being used in the world of the dark crystal to describe something of of thra and that could be why ronup's not mentioned because augra's language being simplistic and archaic when she mentions Agra, she could be mentioning both her and Ronup at the same time. Because you have both the word meaning from Thra, but it associates two different things. Does that make sense? I know I'm kind of reaching there, maybe. Because <laughs> there's always a, a reason, like, why is Ronup not mentioned in the world of the Dark Crystal? And that, you know, she says that she's the first first and last but that doesn't mean that she was the only one yeah yeah it just made me thought yeah whether she had you know other creations of her own like i don't know in other different you know time periods um yeah so yeah no just just sort of thinking about that um which is interesting yeah so yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for um, being part of the, the discussion. Um, uh, Bland, how, how can people find you? Um, well, I'm on Twitter. It's at Blandarella, uh, B-L-A-N-D-A-R-E-L-L-A. And then I'd also like to um, give a little shout out for my latest project. It's the, um, I'm calling it the Dark Crystal Publications Archive. I have a huge collection of magazines that have a bunch of articles from the dark crystal in them and I've been scanning them and uploading them to archive.org and yeah so if anyone's interested um, just go to archive.org and I think I may be able to get 
Oh. I thought I had a. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I thought I had a website. Yeah, I'll, I'll post the. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll post a link on the show notes for people that are interested in, in checking it out. And um, like I've checked it out myself, and you know, had a look through a couple of those um those um magazines, and yeah, it was it's, it's pretty cool. You know, a bit of a, a time machine, just looking back at um um you know with with the with the Dark Crystal film when it was out, and just um all the stories uh, behind the making of this and and advertisements and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, it is really neat. So yeah. yeah, I've been trying to release them, um, month per month as they were released that year, which is basically, I've already released all of 1982 that I had. And then I've released all of January of 83. Um, and then, so there might be months that don't have articles. Um, and I may post those early. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, it's just, and if there's any listeners out there that have magazines from those time periods that I don't have listed, that means I don't have it. So if they're able, you know, to let me know of that article, maybe I can find a copy myself and scan it. Or if they can actually send me a scan, that would be great to add to the archive. Because I know that once it once it gets 50 items within the archive, then it becomes a collection. So I, I can make it into a collection. And I've got, gosh, like, 60 something more articles to scan yeah no it's it's great no thanks so much and um and what about yourself um andrea how can people find you well i'm uh, on pretty much every social network with judy blackcloud j-u-d-y-b-l-a-c-k-c-l-o-u-d and i'm also judyblackcloud.com where you can find more about my books and things that I have out and read blog posts where I review lots of books because I can't stop reading. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Reading is always, you know, um, fun. Yeah. I mean, even myself, like, you know, trying, you know, getting, getting into reading a lot more than what I used to. So yeah, it's, it's Yay! definitely been fun. <laughs> and, um, and what about yourself, uh, fish? How can people find you? Uh, on Facebook, Facebook, facebook.com slash fish rocks music. Excellent. And uh, and yourself, Peter? Uh, you can find my current sci-fi trilogy I'm working on at dwimsaga.com, D-W-I-I-M-Saga.com. And I'm on most social media sites as Peter M. Last name is E-H-M, like Erica M. from the old television uh, Much Music in Toronto. <laughs> you already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls! To the crystal chamber! That's all the time I have for this month's Trial by Stone. Special thanks to Fish, Bland, Peter and Andrea for being this month's guests. You can find out all about the show at facebook.com forward slash podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at trialbystonepod. You can check us out on Vine where I've created some Dark Crystal related videos. Just search for Trial by Stone Podcast on Vine. If you like the show and think that others would like it too, then please spread the word about the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed the show and come back next month for more Trial by Stone.